This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. I could, but don't you want to hear me in my full robustness? <laughs> we we got to put that in the feed, man. Oh, boy, it's Thursday. Let's do this. Uh, pretty funny. Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Thursday, November the 30th. I'm going to get also, it Also, thank you for everybody. We are going to listen yes, back to some of the big everyone. stories of this week. Um, we'll play the tape, we'll talk about it, and then we will send you along your merry way. Let's hit that first piece of tape. Let history reflect the fact that this is the presidency that made a bold choice to proactively engage with oil and gas companies. So that uh, is from COP28, the Conference of the Parties, I think is what COP stands for, 28. Uh, the guy speaking there was uh, the president of the meeting, the head of the meeting this year, Sultan al-Jabbar, speaking um, from Dubai. Um, here's why that's interesting. Number one, um, everybody's saying that this is the summit where we have to get our act together. Uh, and of course, they've been saying that for the past 15 or 20 years. Um, mm. Number two, there is no small amount of controversy, given that we're having this whole big environmental conference uh, about climate change in a place whose economy depends on the fossil fuels that create climate change, number one. And number two, um, there were some documents that were leaked this week of briefing notes for uh, Sultan al-Jabbar. Um, indicating that he planned to use his position as the chair of the conference and the government of Dubai in the UAE planned to use their position as the host of the conference to strike deals with oil and gas companies. Um, and that's kind of challenging, I think. They have denied, by the way, uh, those reports. The good news is that the countries have already re-agreed on a, on a disaster fund um, to help nations rebuild from a climate damage that has already happened. Um, I will just point out that's great, right? And that's really, really good. The catch is, of course, that that Western larger uh, developed economies have promised money before, and it's not always enough, and it's not always actually delivered. But, you know, it's happening. It's happening. And I think this is going to be the big fight on this issue moving forward, is who should pay for the costs of recovering right. from and adapting to climate change, particularly right. in the developing world, right? Yep. Because these are countries that need lower cost for now, mm -hmm. fossil fuels, mm -hmm. in order to catch up to the rest of the world and often in situations where they were actively suppressed from development yep. by the countries that benefited, you know, from exploiting their resources. And so now you have Germany giving, I think, something like a hundred uh, mm -hmm. million, $100 million, dollars, billion yeah. dollars? Yeah. hundred yeah. million dollars a year. The United States giving a lot less. Uh, the UAE, I think, also giving a hundred million dollars. And so you know, the money is starting to flow. It's not nearly enough, but it is sort of establishing a precedent that more developed countries should be paying for the cost of climate change. But how long that is going to be sustained, uh, especially as, you know, these Western countries and more developed countries themselves start seeing higher costs mm -hmm. of climate disasters. It will be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think we should pay. We being the global north, the developed economies who have put most of this stuff into the atmosphere over the past uh, 100-ish years. 
That's what I think. Fair. Um, I am inclined to agree. But here in the United States, we still don't fully help people in the United States bear the cost of climate disasters, uh, that is, American citizens or people living here in the U.S. And so I think it's going to be a very hard political sell to say we should cover the cost of climate disasters elsewhere, even though it may be the right thing to do. But then also on top of that is, is this idea that, you know, which... How shall I say this? What's what's a nice way to say it? So if we're we're not helping people here in the United States pay those costs and how the migration thing is the next big thing, because that's really what we're expecting is people leaving um, climate ravaged places because they can no longer live there due to the effects of climate change and trying to come to the more developed nations that have better resilience and better infrastructure. And so it's one thing to pay these countries to help them adapt or respond to the, you know, horrible consequences of climate change. But then the other part is if you are willing to accept some responsibility in terms of paying money, are you also willing to accept responsibility in terms of accepting the people who can no longer live in those places as a consequence? Well, so look, the answer should be yes, yes, and yes. Yes, sir, please may I have another, right? We have been doing this for 100 mm-hmm. years, polluting this planet and expecting uh, the lesser developed economies and the more marginalized people in this world uh, to bear the burden. It is now mm-hmm. time for us to step up and pay what we owe morally and and dollar-wise, and I think if the United States wants to be again at some point, maybe hypothetically, a shining city on a, a hill. shining city on a hill. Right. Thank you very <laughs> much. Then I think leading the way on climate change, which we have not been doing, uh, is one way to do that. Yeah, yeah. Much more discussion yeah. there. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next piece of audio. This is from a conversation I had yesterday with Ayala Ruvio, who's a marketing professor at Michigan State University. I think the holiday season overall will be fine, but the next year will determine whether or not we are going to actual re- recession because consumers will hold back on their spending or we will reach to a level of economy that is is sustainable and consumer can not overspend but live comfortably without going into a recession. Hmm. So... I don't usually cover a ton of retail because, you know, I live, breathe politics. But I happen to have done quite a few retail stories leading up to Black Friday, Cyber Monday in the last couple of weeks. And boy, have I learned so many interesting things, including that um, the holiday season is stretching longer because people have less money to spend due to inflation. So they're shopping harder for deals. But retailers are super paranoid that once people spend what money they do have, that's it for the season. So that's why you're seeing these Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals being extended to like Wednesday and Thursday of this week, because everybody who can get your dollars are trying to get them before they run out. Because what's going to happen in a couple of weeks when those credit card bills start showing up is a lot of retailers and a lot of retail analysts are expecting a drastic pullback in spending. Because even though the top line Black Friday, Cyber Monday, holiday weekend spending numbers are higher than last year and years before. When you factor in inflation, people are 
on average spending less.、Mm-hmm. They're getting less stuff for spending more money, and a lot of the shopping is people stocking up on necessities. But while they can get them on sale, much less so than you know buying more frivolous goods,、um, and. One of the things that kept coming up over and over again is this idea that nobody really knows yet whether or not consumers are sort of binging on these sales and discounts in order to pull back later, which could contribute to a more—I won't even say a recession, but a recessionary environment—or、um, if we're just going to keep, you know. Closing our eyes and and covering our ears and hoping for the best and and spending as if there's no tomorrow because you know if you're going to be in debt forever you may as well be. My money is on the American consumer to do what it has historically done, what he she has already historically done, which is to close their eyes, put their fingers in their ears, and go la 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 and pull out the credit card. <laughs> That's I mean we've been doing that forever. Yeah, and I mean as long as debt is. Manageable and sustainable. I think that was the status quo, but with interest rates so high,、yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was talking to the CEO of Vantage Score, which is a credit scoring agency, and he was saying that credit card delinquencies across all、mm-hmm. categories—I'm talking 15 days late, 30 days late, 60 to 90 days late—are all up, right? And this holiday shopping season is coming as student loan repayments are starting to come due again, as you know,、um, mortgage interest rates are very high, and so I know we've been saying this for a year, but consumers may be at the breaking point.、Um, but you know, again, we've been saying that for ages, so we'll right. see. Right, agreed. Yeah. All right. Next clip. Let's hear it. If I leave, they win. If I leave. The bullies take place. This is bullying. The rep, the chair of the committee putting out a motion to expel, just introducing it and not calling it privilege, was designed to force me to resign. Yeah. No, you get that one. <laughs> you just don't want to touch it, do you? I'm not going. <laughs> well. That was、uh, George Santos,、uh, the congressperson from New York, talking to reporters this morning. Santos said he will not resign ahead of the House vote on whether or not to expel him. A lot of members of Congress,、um, several members of Congress, proposed resolutions to expel him after the House Ethics Committee released, released its report that found more than substantial evidence that he knowingly filed incomplete re- reports with the Federal Elections Commission,、uh, that he used campaign funds for personal use, to put it generously,、uh, among many other violations. Speaker Johnson said yesterday that he had real reservations about expelling Santos. If he's expelled, he'd be the first House member to be ousted without having been convicted or having supported the、uh, Confederacy. But that said,、uh, it seems like the the winds are blowing to oust him in terms of, you know. Some members of Congress who were hesitant to do so without, you know, air quote due process,、uh, are now on board. But that GOP majority is extraordinarily thin, and with all of these、uh, looming resignations, if not the resignations we've had, about to get thinner. And it will be very fascinating to see. And I know cynical Kai is going to laugh at me when I say <laughs> these words out loud. Go ahead.、Um, where people's、um, moral. Uh, standards yeah, on yeah.、Um, how a member of the house should behave land when it comes to the、uh, the the majority being、yeah. at stake.
Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, Make I got. Comment. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. This is actually a really good test of where the Republican Party in the House is. Yeah. This is not yeah, a hard it call. It's not a hard it's call. It's really not. I mean, come on. I mean, OnlyFans. Stop it. Like, just, just, I, just. I, I fully respect the work of sex workers and, you know, God bless them. But really, with your campaign funds, come on. And the next come piece on. of tape. Let's go. <laughs> Anybody who cooks a turkey knows that you got to pull it out of the oven before it's to the point where you want it to be because it's going to have residual heat. And if you just keep Uh. cooking the thing for too long, they're going to be like, Mommy, why is Uncle Kai's turkey so hard to chew? So that was Austin Goolsbee, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, former head of the CEA under Obama, also a a part-time stand-up comic at one point in his professional career. I think he was voted the funniest economist in Washington. Anyway, so I asked him on the program the other day, you know, how much longer you can keep interest rates high? Because are you worried about overshooting? And he came up with what I thought was a really good example of the turkey. You know, you got to take the turkey out of the oven a little bit early so that it doesn't get overcooked. The implication being maybe we need to be done with raising interest rates so that the slowdown of the economy doesn't get overcooked. I thought it was a pretty good analogy. If you want salmonella... I mean, no, 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 come on, come on. You take it out at 145 or 165, whatever it is, right? Uh, and you let it rest. You don't sit sit it in there till it's 210 on the internal and the juices are running clear, but they're freaking fried because you've overdone it. Go with the, roll with the analogy. What, roll with the analogy. That's don't, what an oven bag is for. Oh my Lordy B, don't take the, don't take the turkey thing. Take the interest rate thing. That's what you're supposed okay. to take out of that. I'm sorry, as someone who has made an actual Thanksgiving turkey many times, I, I take issue with this. But, you know, I'll leave it to the listeners to weigh in on whether or not you take a turkey out of the oven before it's fully cooked. Let's go. We're done. <laughs> All right. That is it for today. Uh, you can join us tomorrow for Economics on Tap. Uh, the YouTube live stream starts at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. We will be joined by Amy Scott, who is out with a new season of our Climate Solutions podcast, How We Survive. And she's bringing a special kind of beer, which I actually plan to attempt to drink. And it, for your sake, Kai, it is not an IPA. Well, it's a special kind of IPA, but we'll, you know, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> What a surprise. Let's go, Drew. Let's go. I'm, I'm stealing Amy Scott's joke there, and I gave her a hard time on the Slack channel for it. But uh, anyway. Oh, my gosh. Uh, today's episode of Make Me Smart, which is this podcast, somehow, was produced by Courtney Bergsinger with assistance today from H. Connolly. Drew Jostad was in charge on the other side of the glass here in the studio. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neil Farshabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And sure, why not? On demand as well. Why the heck? (laughs)